Good morning, Willow Park Church. We're so happy that you've joined us and that we're able to gather in this way, although you know we'd love to be in person and love to be able to um, worship together, see each other's faces. It is very challenging. But this morning, we have the opportunity to really press into the Word of God, to continue our journey through the book of Daniel, and ask the Lord what he's saying to us in this time. And as we seek his face and say, Lord, what do you want to say to us? How do you want to speak to us? What difference do you want to make in my life? I think it's a real challenge at this time that we, we focus our minds on choosing to serve Christ. And that takes determination. That takes real commitment to say yes. Yes, you know, it's so easy to check out. It's so easy not to get involved. It's so easy not to keep your faith alive and active when we're not gathering as a community. But I know that those of you who are joining this morning, that you, uh, you really have a deep desire to hear from God. You have a deep desire to know uh, God's presence and God's power working in your life, working in your family. Uh, the place of your, where you work, as your employment, that in every area, we don't kind of live this dualistic approach. We know that God's presence is with us in every sphere of our life. And what we want to do is bring that mission, that energy, that good news. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament that we are living epistles. People look at us and they read. They read and see by the way that we respond. And I guess the writing that's on this living epistle of our lives is written in love. And when we respond to people in love, when we respond to people with kindness and with grace, when we pray for others, we're seeing the kingdom of God being, um, being spread abroad into people's lives. And that God's presence is there. I walk the same route um, every uh, day, mainly, up in um, Rutland through the orchards and, and go for a four or five mile walk and pray and think. And over the years, I've kind of developed connections and friendships with different people who do the same thing. There's one old man that I always know and I always see him and he has faith. Uh, a strong faith I've discovered over the years. He loves to listen to the owls and uh, watch the hawks and uh, walk those, um, those roads. And often I find him just staring out at the sunset. These days, what, around 5.20. And I, I say good evening and we talk for a few minutes. And this week he was just sharing how through a traumatic life, through a feeling of inadequacy and through the pain of his journey. He came from Manitoba. He remembers feeling so lost and alone in life, facing some challenges that he's learned to connect with the Lord. And he said, I often stand here and look at this sunset day after day. In fact, year after year. And my heart is filled with such love and joy because of the creator. And sometimes he says, I'm overwhelmed because of the joy of the creator in my life. And we stood there and we chatted for a while. And then I walked on. Well, 
I got to a spot where I could see the clouds changing and the light shifting. And I stood there for 10, 15 minutes. And I stared into that light as it changed. And you know, it reminded me the need for us to just pause and to become overwhelmed by the love of God in our lives, to have that connection. And maybe like my friend who I have got to know, you too have a story. You've got brokenness, you've got loneliness, you've got an inner emptiness. But when we take time to seek God and understand the power of Jesus Christ, it makes such a profound difference in our lives. And maybe in this Lent period, it's time that you walk the path and you pause and you say, Lord, overwhelm my heart with your love. Show me a fresh revelation of your love and your grace in my life. And that's what I want for all of us. So as we begin worship, we know we need discipline and we need to focus when we put on the worship online. But we can create a little holy space. As Curtis leads us and as you hear the songs, allow the Lord to just, yeah, overwhelm you with his love this morning. Father, thank you that we can begin this service. And thank you that we can see your creation all around us. And I pray, Lord, that as we begin this morning, that we may feel that love and that sense of being just simply overwhelmed by the sense of God is love. That you love us and care for us and you have drawn us to yourself through the work of the cross. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, over to Curtis. He's going to lead us now in a time of worship. And thank you again for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Willow Park Church Online. So good to be here with you and with my friends here, Luke and Rachel and Jordan. And I'm Curtis. And we're here to worship. We're here to express our love for Jesus. So join us as we do that in community, wherever you are, we are together right now. We love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King. What you hear May it be a sweet, sweet sound In your ear mm. The theme of our worship this morning is going to be about Jesus coming to us and us coming to him. There's so many beautiful scriptures that, that just reflect that. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. 
Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and hinder them not, for to such as these is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. So we come to you, Jesus, now this morning with our worship. Choose. 
Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Jesus because Jesus came to us and he comes to us we open our hearts to him Jesus said I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me and Jesus said I will come back and take you to be with me so you can be with me forever and Jesus said yes I am coming soon 
so glad we don't have to wait for you, Jesus, because you're here with us all the time. Your blessings, your mercies are new every morning. and We have such wonderful lives because you are in them. So come, come Lord Jesus.
Jesus, we love worshiping you. We love this family. We love this church. Bless it. Bless us all. As you speak to us, as you have spoken to us through the songs we have sung, and you'll speak to us through the words that will be spoken, Lord, let us feel your closest. Come to us as we come to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, As we hold the emblems, the bread and the wine, it reminds us again of all that Christ has done for us and the way that he has come to to heal us, our brokenness, to restore that lost relationship that we can know that, that sunlight of God's love Let me remind you that Christ came and lived amongst men, but he was sent from the Father to bring us home. We're all spiritual renegades. We're all fallen. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans states. I love Romans. It has such energy and life. We understand our brokenness, but we understand, as the book of Romans points out, that he will save us from this corrupt world, from our own sinfulness. It's Christ Jesus that saves us from that. And when he hung upon the cross, nails through his hands and his feet, the blood there from the crown of thorns, he was dying in my place. He was dying for me. He was that substitute. He paid the price so that I may live. He paid the debt so that I may no longer be bankrupt, but I can be credited righteous. I can be made clean. I remember that moment. That moment I gave my life to Jesus as clearly as if it was yesterday when I prayed a prayer of repentance I didn't fully understand. And yet when I called on the name of Jesus, I felt and experienced the renewing and the strengthening and the, and, and the newness of God, like rushing through me. I guess like my friend who stood there and spoke about as he stared at the sunlight and thought of the creator, he became overwhelmed by love. I guess for me, it's that I walked out of that little gospel hall on a, I think it was a February evening but I felt clean clean for the first time guilt shame had gone because of what Christ has done and maybe this is the moment when you pause and you give your life to Christ and you invite him to become Lord and so that you too can feel that sense of being clean this is the prayer I prayed When I became a Christian, 
Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. But as you gave yourself for me upon the cross, I give myself to you. I choose to make you Lord of my life. I choose to become your disciple. Amen. That little prayer was the beginning that changed my life. And on the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And so we should eat it and examine ourselves, our motives, our heart, and hand over our weaknesses to Christ. Confess our sin and take the bread and remember, Christ died for you. The body of Christ broken for you. Eat it. He poured out wine and simply stated, this is the blood of the new covenant. Whereas the blood of sheep and goats and sacrifices never were enough to atone, to pay the price, to sanctify humanity, it took an eternal sacrifice to deal with the universal problem of sin. And Christ's blood takes away the sins of the world. Drink it and remember. Amen. Well, there is so much going on at Willow Park Church as we move our, our journey towards Easter. Uh, we're coming to the end of Marriage Alpha or the marriage course, as it's called. It's been glorious. It's been awesome. I've led a group with Michelle, and we've had such a fantastic time. And I know the other uh, marriage facilitators have had a great time. We're now looking towards a promotion of Alpha, and you'll be hearing a lot more about that. But right now, we're going to hand over to Courtney, and she's going to share the Willow news. Thank you. Hello Willow Park Church, my name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. If you're looking for a great opportunity for prayer, consider joining our noon prayer gathering. It happens every weekday, Monday to Friday at 12 o'clock noon. Join our pastors and other leaders online for a half hour of meeting with God and praying for one another. To find out how to connect, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com prayer. Our midweek youth programs have started up again. Grades 9 to 12 join us on Wednesday nights and grades 6 to 8 join us on Thursdays. 
Learn more and sign up at willowparkchurch.com slash cahoots dash lounge. Do you love to sing? Join us tonight for a brand new hymn sing with Pastor Curtis. This happens every Sunday at 6 p.m. on Church Online, Facebook, and YouTube. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash hymn. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good to go? All right. Hello, Willow Park Church at South. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today at Church Online. My name is Courtney. I am normally not here, but I have the opportunity to be here to talk to you this morning about what's going on in the children's ministry at Willow Park Church. So if you don't know, um, in about a week's time, we are running our in-person kids camp at Church at 33, which is so exciting. It is a big job. Um, We have a full camp, so all of our registration spots are full of kids and all pretty much all of our volunteers are there as well so we are so blessed to uh to have a full camp that we can run so we are super excited there's still a lot to do this week but we are pumped to be able to offer a camp in our community so that is coming up and then in about three weeks time we are doing Kids Club. Now, Clubs is a program that has been running at Church at 33 for many years now. And it is our midweek kids program for elementary age. And we are really excited to offer it at all of our locations starting in April. So typically, we only do clubs at Church at 33. And we are opening it up to South and Lake Country. So South, we have clubs happening here Wednesdays from 6 to 7.30, which is super exciting. Clubs has always been a program that's been really special to my heart um, because I've seen how it's flourished. I've seen the fruit of our program and seen families connected to the church and and kids growing to, to know the Lord. So I'm super excited for it to start here. Now, there's still a lot to do for us, and one of the big um, aspects that we need to tackle is volunteers. So we are looking for some people, some amazing people, who are willing to step in and be small group leaders. Now, small group leaders have the special opportunity to grow in relationships and in community with our kids. So we have kids that come from the community, we have kids that come from the church, and it's an opportunity to do a craft alongside them, to do a game alongside them, and to just feed into their life in a way that they may not be receiving. So it's a really special program to be a part of. Now, I'm hoping that over the next few weeks that we have some people that feel a tug on their heart that this might be an opportunity for them to get involved in the church and in the children's ministry program. And if you are one of those people, then we would love to have you involved in this program. Now, I am going to pray this morning for clubs and for camp and for church coming up. And I just encourage you that to just take some time today and over the next few weeks 
to just reflect in your heart and see what the Lord is telling you and see if this is one of the ways that you can get involved in our church in this season. So let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray. And yeah, let's just take some time and quiet ourselves and just listen to what the Lord is telling us. Father, you are so good. I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this opportunity for our kids to be welcomed back into the church. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to build community, to build relationships with some kids that may never enter the church otherwise. God, I thank you so much that we can put on a kids camp. I thank you that you have had the pieces fall into place, that you have had the volunteers fall into place, that you have given us a full registration. God, I just thank you so much. And for clubs, God, I just pray that that clubs will come together according to your will and in your timing. God, I know that you have already designed who will be here. You know what kids will register. You know what volunteers are supposed to be here to build relationship with our kids. And so, Father, I just pray that you are tugging on our hearts right now and that you are revealing yourself to us. God, I pray that over these next few weeks, in our planning and in our prep, that you are our main focus. God, I thank you so much that that you have been guiding our planning and our prep And I just pray that over these next few weeks that everything comes together just for your worship and according to your will. Yeah, I pray for the rest of our service this morning. I pray for Glenn as he speaks. And I just ask that you reveal yourself to us and, God, that you speak to us through his words. In your name, amen. All right, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm going to invite Glenn up now, and I will see you guys later. Thanks. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Luke. It's, uh, I get him to carry all the heavy stuff. It's awesome. Thank you, mate. Uh, it's so good to uh, hear from Courtney this morning. She's amazing, and she's just a brilliant part of the Willow Park Church team. And I really hope that you, uh, you like Courtney has just prayed, that you hear from God. And, and this might be something that might be stretching you. That's good. Uh, get involved if you have a heart for the kids. This is about sowing the life of Jesus, and seeing a kid's life changed. Um, we'd love to have this become such an amazing part of the South Ministry as it has been for many years at the Will Apart Ministry. So looking forward to that. Thank you, Courtney. Bless you and the team. Pray for them because uh, they, uh, they do an amazing job. Uh, before I jump into the Word, you can, you can grab your Bibles now or get your apps ready at Daniel uh, chapter 7. Uh, before I get there, and a couple of weeks ago, I should have mentioned this, but uh, Jameson, who was uh, one of the interns here now uh, a few years ago, and he's gone on to do, uh, he's doing a degree, and I think he's at master's now in doing some theology stuff, and, and it's just fantastic. He got engaged to his lovely wife-to-be, uh, Tanya. Congratulations, you two. Uh, you're still part of the South family. We love your mom and dad and your whole family so much, and Linda and Laura's. It's going to be a busy summer for them. Uh, my son, I think, gets married a couple of weeks after that. In, in August, so uh, just bless you and grateful. And in honor of you, Jameson, I'm wearing my Manchester United tie because he, uh, 
he supports Liverpool, but we, uh, which we won't talk about. Although we are talking about the Antichrist today, and if you want to make a tie-in, that's fine. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's biblical, but uh, we are talking today about Daniel chapter 7. I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7, uh, which is just a comprehensive piece of Scripture. So I don't want to spend too much time running into it, other than I'm going to tell you that the first six chapters of Daniel were very much a narrative. They were personal. They were stories and, and uh, about Daniel and his three friends. Now we move into chapter 7 through to 12. It's apocalyptic and cosmic. It's like the first part of Daniel is Daniel talking, showing how reliable he is uh, and how his message should be listened to. And then Daniel chapter 7 through to 12 is the message. We're running into this piece of literature that you find in the Bible called the apocalyptic literature. It's, it's prophetic. And if I was going to give my sermon a message title this morning, it would be this, the cloud rider versus the beast. It sounds like a kind of WWE kind of setup, uh, but it's far more cosmic and apocalyptic than that. I am excited about preaching this message to you because we're going to be jumping into a form of literature in the Bible that is fascinating and bizarre. It's, it's kind of thick with metaphor and yet so filled with hope. And basically what we're going to be jumping into is an overriding theme in the Bible, which is this. The Bible really makes it very, very simple for us. It, it kind of categorizes us, humanity, into two Categories. Now, you might already be bristling because our country and our Western world and our culture has so many different categories of people now. But the Bible is two. It's two categories. Now, I'm not talking male and female. I'm talking lost and found. In the kingdom, out of the kingdom. Of the cloud riders, of the beast. And so that is what we're going to jump into today. So the question is, before we even get started, is which side are you on? Which kingdom are you part of? Which kingdom are you part of? So let's jump straight in. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So this is just an anchor in time. What part of this story of Daniel are we in? This is uh, just after, um, just, just before I should say, Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. He's probably aged between 60 and 80 years old. Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. I wonder if you've ever had one of those really strange dreams that when you wake up, you just need to tell somebody about it. Or worse, you have a strange dream that when you wake up, you've forgotten all about. And then something happens in the day that triggers the memory. And you're like, oh my goodness, let me tell you what I dreamt about last night. You know, I had way too much cheese on my pizza. I had a crazy, crazy dream. This is what is happening with Daniel. Daniel has been interpreting visions and dreams in the first six chapters of the Bible, uh, of Daniel. Now he's getting his own dream and vision. Okay, next verse. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked. And there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up this great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Okay, so straight away, 
This sounds bizarre. This is not something that we're used to. This is not uh, imagery that is common to us. But what we know, and the people then would know, is this chapter ties directly into Daniel chapter 2. I like what the Bible Project says. It's like a hyperlink. You know the hyperlink on the webpage? The hyperlink goes to Daniel chapter 2 because what we're going to hear, certainly in, in the expression of the beasts, is reflected in the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. So in my vision, he's saying, I saw the winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts. And so what we're going to see now in the next few verses is a, is a, a description of what these beasts are about and what they look like. So here's what I want you to understand before we go any further. The imagery that is being described by Daniel in his dream was not unusual imagery if you were from ancient uh, Middle East. There's, there's, not a, uh, there's not like, oh, what do these images mean? These images were actually very much part of their culture at that time. It'd be a little bit like you seeing a picture or me seeing a picture of a very famous landmark, say the Statue of Liberty. You might have an understanding of the history of the Statue of Liberty. You might understand its, its, uh, its significance. You understand what it represents. You just understand, yes, yeah, Statue of Liberty. Somebody else looking at that statue would have no clue and think it's odd. It's like that now in this scripture, that these are familiar images, and we need to be careful that we don't listen to this imagery and dismiss it because it sounds odd to us. This was very normal, very common. These images were very normal, very common uh, images. The other thing that I want us just to frame before we jump into what this vision is about is we need to resist speculation. What do I mean by that? The apocalyptic scriptures, the literature, the prophetic part of the Bible is really, really important and shouldn't be avoided. In fact, it's a message that is filled with love and joy and hope and victory. But the danger is, and the church has stepped into this a number of times in its history, is you can step into speculation, whereas these kind of strong metaphors, these visions that do represent history, but they're very metaphorical, uh, are there to, uh, to, to, to look at. It's not reality. I mean, we have to... We have to resist speculation. Now, some of you might go, well, hang on a second, what do you mean by not reality? Let me give you an example. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I remember very strongly there being this sense of foreboding because of the, the nuclear tension that was happening uh, from Russia and America, and England was in the middle, and, and there was a real sense of end of times. And so people were fascinated with predicting what do the horns mean? What do the beasts mean? It means this, it means that. Hang on a second. Revelation talks about the number of the beasts, 666. And, and Ronald Wilson Reagan has got six letters in each of his names. Therefore, he's the Antichrist. Or maybe it's the Pope. Or maybe it's Gorbachev. Or maybe, and you just start speculating and you can get caught up with it. And it's a little bit like, like this. We need to be careful we don't miss the point. Now, I'm compressing lectures into a few minutes here, so I know I'm going quickly, but just, just stick with me. I love going for walks with my family, and, and especially when we go to picturesque places. So let's just take 
uh, a river, for example. So this is an amazing river. I just Googled beautiful river, and I went, that'll do. It's not Mission Creek, but you know what? Mission Creek is beautiful as well. So we're walking along the river, me and my family. Now, and I used to teach, part of uh, my teaching as a middle school teacher, I used to teach physical geography, like longshore drift, beaches, glaciation, volcanoes. I love that stuff. And one of the things we used to do was teach about rivers. So I walk along with my family, and I just go into teaching mode. And I'm like, yes, would you like to know why there's an oxbow lake? And why there's erosion on that side of the river? Why does the river bend? Why is there different rock sizes here than over there? What about estuaries? And, and I'm kind of going, hey, do you want to know? And then my kids and my wife is like, oh, this is just so boring. Now, the reality is this. Me examining the river brings me great joy. But I can do it in such a way where I miss the point of the river that the scripture says is to bring glory to God. I can miss the light dancing off the top of the water. I can miss the beauty of the moment. I can miss the fact that I'm walking with my family enjoying this amazing beauty in creation that speaks to the glory of God because I'm too busy examining the size of rocks on the side of each bend. Prophetic apocalyptic scripture is a little like that. You can get so caught up with what all the individual bits and pieces means. And please research it. It's good. It's fine. But if it just terminates on that, then you're missing the point. Because the point is, is it points to the beauty of God's character. It points to victory. It points to hope. It points to Jesus. Every scripture we believe in this church points in some way and speaks to the gospel and Jesus. And this scripture is exactly the same. So you can get very caught up in, yes, this beast means that and this beast means this and miss the point. And friends, we need hope. We need victory. We need love. We need the gospel of Jesus. We need Daniel chapter 7's message, especially in our post-Christian world. Our whole thing about Daniel has been, how does this relate to us in this post-Christian world that is uninterested in Jesus and sees Jesus and Christianity as irrelevant at best and dangerous at worst? We need this chapter because it gives us as Christians tremendous Hope. So prophetic, apocalyptic scripture points to Jesus. It does not terminate in and on itself. It brings hope. It brings beauty. It shows us the character of God. So on the back of that, and it's so important, we're going to jump into what Daniel actually saw in his vision. Next verse. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Okay, so the sea was a common image at that time, especially a chaotic sea that was actually uh, related to um, the, the ancient east at that point, which was chaos and evil and all that is wrong. So Daniel is seeing a chaotic evil scene. Again, hyperlink, as project, uh, Bible Project would say, to Genesis chapter 1, where the ocean, where there was chaos and evil and churning in the ocean. The first beast was like a lion that many 
Bible scholars, and I would agree with this, point to this beast being Babylon. So the word Babylon isn't actually anything where you see the parenthesis like that. It's me putting in that as an explanation of the scripture before. I'm not adding to the Bible, so we can all calm down. Uh, I'm just saying this is the first beast, just to help us remember the interpretation of this. So like a lion, which we commonly believe and, and, and uh, Bible scholars would say is Babylon, and it had the wings of an eagle. See, this was a common image for Babylon. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. So that refers to Nebuchadnezzar's apparent conversion that we read about how he became beast-like in his pride and Luke preached on that a few weeks ago. So this is Babylon being lifted up. And then there was before me a second beast. So remember the statue in chapter 2. We're now moving to the next nation, which looked like a bear, which is Medo-Persia. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth because its teeth, um, between its teeth, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So this apocalyptic scripture, this prophecy, is doing a few different things here. It's pointing to the immediate history that is going to happen. And the big uh, question or the discussion and argument at worst is, when do these beasts come to an end? When do these empires finish? What we know is the Persian Empire did actually arise. It took over Babylon, just like Daniel is predicting. This was written before it happened. This is history, Israel's history. Um, And then this represents Alexander the Great, Greece. Now, Greece, Alexander the Great, was a tremendously powerful empire. It, it, it took over from Europe to India in just over a decade, which is why this scripture talks about speed. Um, um, and so it's, it's really, really... Uh, sorry, I've got this wrong. This is, this is Medo-Persia, not Greece. I've moved on too far. So uh, we can get, it's, the, it's still the uh, Medo-Persia devouring Babylon, and the three ribs represent Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. Now we move on to Greece. And after that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. There's the speed, the speed in which Alexander the Great took over really a large part of the world at that point. And on its back had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given an authority to rule. So what was interesting is Alexander the Great was very young when he died and he had no apparent heir to hand the kingdom over. And so it was divided into four parts, four generals. History shows us that. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Most commentators and Bible scholars would say, and I would agree with this, that it is representative of Rome. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns. It's like mega robo-beast. This combination of flesh and iron was terrifying compared to the other beasts. And it points to Rome that was to come, the largest, longest-standing, 1700 
plus years superpower that took over the majority of the civilized world after, uh, after Greece and um, Alexander the Great. They brought peace through the military, road systems, started globalization. This was the empire that was in control when Jesus was born. He was born under the authority, if you like, at that time of Rome. This was a tremendously powerful empire. And it was Rome and the Romans that ultimately executed Jesus. So this is the vision. That's where we're at. The question becomes, and this is the stuff which you can research, is whether Rome finished then or whether Rome has continued in some way. And I want to show you that it's, an, it's a kind of an and situation. Yes, it finished and yes, it continues. And the reason is, is because of these horns. I was thinking about the ten horns, Daniel said. There before me was another horn, a little one. I want you to remember those words. This is going to come up in just a minute. A little one, which came up among them, and three of the horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. See, Daniel's focus now is shifting from, the, from earth to heaven. You're going to see now that Daniel's focus is coming from human evil and chaos to divine judgment and the kingdom of God. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is God, God the Father. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was as white like wool. So we have words here that represent purity, which is the, which is the, the white like wool. We've got wisdom. We've got righteousness, we've got power. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels like were all ablaze. This is this mobile throne with the Ancient of Days sat upon it. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand, ten ten thousands stood before him. This is Bible speak for almost an eternal number of people worshipping and attending. God the Father sat in his authority, in his power, in his judgment. So we've got this human, earthly picture of the beasts rising out, the chaos of the sea. And then we've got this divine picture of God the Father sat on his blazing throne with rivers of fire coming out before him. This is an incredible image of the God the Father that in his wisdom chooses you and me, Christian friends, to approach him. To approach him, come into his throne room and pray to him. This is the God that we're talking about. Then the court was seated. It's like silence descends upon heaven. And the books were opened. I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the, the horn, the little one, was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. Friends, this is the mega theme of the Bible. This is Judgment Day. This is the day. 
This is when God brings his judgment as the ancient of days upon the empires that have ruled and will rule to come. This is a surety. This is something that you cannot escape when you read the Bible. That we're fine with the idea of God being a God of love, God of mercy, God of patience. The culture would see God as as a white bearded man on a throne like great uncle God who just loves everybody and wouldn't dream of punishing people, wouldn't dream of bringing justice and judgment because why would he do that? Because he's a good God. But the same Bible who speaks about God of being love and mercy and kindness and patience, the same Bible also speaks to a God of justice and judgment and and bringing righteousness to the world once again. That he is on his throne. He is in control. He does have dominion. He is sovereign. That is the God. Christian friends, we need to remember that even in the middle of, of confusion and questioning and, and, and scratching our heads thinking, what is happening to our world? The Ancient of Days is sat upon the throne. In my vision, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of God. Uh, sorry, a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. This statement about there being clouds, he was coming with the clouds of heaven. Clouds is a really interesting word study through the Old Testament and indeed in the New Testament in Revelation. When you see this, it speaks to the presence of God. Think about Sinai with the cloud upon the mountain that God is in the house. When the cloud filled the temple, God and his presence is in the house. When the Israelites came out of their tents every morning, they would look up to see with the cloud, the presence of God had moved. And now we have Jesus, the ultimate cloud rider that the Bible speaks to, coming in the clouds, on the clouds. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. And you can find scriptures through the Old Testament and the New Testament that talk about Jesus coming on the clouds. He is the Son of Man. He is the cloud rider. He is the one who is in the presence of God. He is the one that we have a relationship with. And he, the cloud rider, the son of man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. His kingdom, not these four beasts, not all that rise up. His kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. That is the Jesus we worship. That is the Jesus who we, uh, we, we want to follow. That is the Jesus. As we preach, uh, we pray to and believe in because he is the one who is in the presence that says in the New Testament, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. This is King Jesus in all his glory, forever ruling, never to be destroyed. He is the destroyer of evil, and his name is Jesus. And one of his favorite names for himself was the Son of Man. 
You can read all the way through the New Testament in the Gospels where he referred to himself as the Son of Man. You see, Jesus chose his words purposefully. Every time somebody heard him say that about himself, it was like that hyperlink back to Daniel 7. It was him declaring who he was. It was him declaring that I am that Son of Man that Daniel, your prophet, spoke about. Coming in power, bringing destroyer of evil. He's reminding us that there's a new king coming. He is king and he will rule forever. And where is that focal point that Daniel 7 is pointing to where the destruction of evil truly happens? It's on the cross. It's on the cross. You see, the cross is all about the forgiveness of sins and my sin and my shame dying with Jesus on the cross, bringing me newness of life. But where does that newness of life come from? It comes from the victory that Jesus gained over the ultimate death. Not just his own death, but sin and death. That he carried, cosmically carried, all the sin and the shame of every person who claims and believes in the Son of Man, Jesus. That if you believe in Jesus, and as I believe in Jesus, that my sin is destroyed with him, brought ultimate victory over the kingdom of darkness that you and I live in. His name is King Jesus. This is why this passage is so, so filled with hope. Jesus is the divine warrior riding into the war on your and my behalf. Which kingdom are you in? Are you on the kingdom that he is seeking to destroy? Are you in the kingdom that ultimately will bring death? Or are you in the kingdom of the cloud rider, the son of man, King Jesus, who will bring victory? And even when it seems hopeless, he, my friend, please believe me, will bring victory one day, either in my life, in your life, or in life to come. It will happen. And what does all this result in? I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. No kidding. I think I'd be troubled in spirit. I'd be really examining what I ate the night before, I can tell you that. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. And the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Yeah. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of this. Who is the one? It's an angelic spirit. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. This is him now pointing to the reign of King Jesus. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. He has questions. Daniel has questions. I'd have questions. That's okay. Like what on earth is going on? He gave me this explanation. And this is the bit that I really want you to anchor in. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. Remember Rome. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Rome. The ten horns are the ten kings who will come from this kingdom. There's some discussion as to what those ten horns represent, um, which we're not going to get into today, other than after them... Another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people. This is the little horn. The holy, sorry, holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into hands for a time, times a half time. This little horn... 
This little horn, this king, this new kingdom thinking, this, this empire, if you like, that has produced this little horn commonly referenced in the Bible as the Antichrist. The Antichrist mentioned in the New Testament by Paul and in Revelation mainly. This character that has caused fascination to Christians for generations. And what's interesting about the Antichrist is the way it's used in the scripture that yes, it is a person who is coming in the future. And you can read more about how that will play out. But at the same time, there have been many Antichrists in our history. And there is also the spirit of Antichrist. So there's a sense that the Antichrist is already here and yet to come. And in fact, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul refers to that. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day of Christ's second coming will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And look at this. The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of destruction. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So there's this to come, but there's also something already at work in our world. And this is where I believe Daniel 7 definitely is referring to what is going on in our world right now. The spirit of our Antichrist is what the Bible calls it. It's this sense every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, that Jesus is from it does not confess that Jesus is not from God. I don't know if that's written out right. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now in the world already. So the spirit of the Antichrist is here, and it is to come. It is here, and it is already to come. So look at this verse again. He will speak in Daniel 7 against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time and time and a half. So let's just pause for a second. We've got the four beasts that are kingdoms, empires, that we can identify in history. We have the fourth empire that is producing an antichrist that we believe is to come before Jesus comes back. We have Jesus coming into the presence of the ancient of days, the cloud rider, who will destroy all those empires, including this little horn. This little horn is a person to come. There have been many antichrists, but we also live in the sense of the spirit of the antichrist. So let me, friends, let me put it in this way. It is the spirit of the Antichrist that put Jesus to death. It is the spirit of the Antichrist that continues to seek to oppress and to oppose and supplant Jesus today. It is the same spirit that put Jesus to death then that is seeking to put Jesus and his church to death now. How does that happen though? And this is where it gets very, very practical for you and I. This is where this pulls Daniel chapter 7 into our world where we answer the so what? That this hope and joy and victory uh, that is ours in Christ is an incredible motivator for us. That he is coming and every knee will bow. But on a day-to-day level, what does this look like for us? After the, uh, the Nazi uh, had, had risen under Hitler and, and uh, Churchill made some statements at the end of Second World War. And he said this, and this is really, I think this is prophetic. The empires of the future will be empires of the mind. Do you remember that little one? See, the empires of the future are the empires of the mind, Churchill said. 
Where does that empire, that spirit of the Antichrist come most prevalently? It's in the thinking of our culture. And what's really fascinating is if you read Daniel 7, you'll see this little one, this Antichrist, starts small and gets bigger. And that is the way of Satan in Jesus' time and in the time now in our culture and in your life as well. That this spirit of Antichrist seeks to replace Jesus in your life. It does it personally. It will start small, the smallest of temptations, the smallest of thoughts, the smallest of, oh, it's going to be fine. And before you know it, you have drifted away from the kingdom of God into the kingdom and the spirit of the Antichrist that is seeking to supplant Jesus out of your life. It can happen in your families. It can happen in our communities. It's happened in our city and it's happened in our country. And the thinking of Jesus, anti-Jesus Christ, Antichrist, starts slow and becomes normal. You could say what starts crazy becomes normal. Think about that when Jesus, we're going to be thinking about Palm Sunday in a few Sundays time, but Jesus coming into the city, into Jerusalem, people are waving their palms, singing triumphant songs, praising Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Three days later, just a, just a few days later, that same crowd are crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What starts off crazy becomes normal. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It starts small and grows. The same leaders that sought the Romans to kill and crucify Jesus were the ones that were celebrating Jesus in the temple at the beginning of his ministry. What starts off small grows. What starts off crazy becomes normal. And you now only need to look at the worldview and the lens of our culture to see the same. What started off as unfathomable is now normal. And I encourage you to read uh, this amazing book by Mark Sayers. It's prophetic and, and at the same time a tremendous study on the post-Christian world that we live in right now. It's called Disappearing Church. I've, re- I've mentioned it to you before by Mark Sayers. Let me just read what this new culture, this spirit of the Antichrist has resulted in in our culture. And you tell me whether this is your town. Whether this is your place of living. That number one, he says this, and I'm paraphrasing somewhat. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Number two, traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulation, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. The world will be inevitably improved as the scope of individual freedom grows, our worldview says. Technology, in particular the internet, will motor this progress towards utopia, is what the belief is. The primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Therefore, social justice is less about economic or class inequality and more about issues of equality relating to individual identity, self-expression, and personal autonomy. I know I'm going fast. Buy the book. Uh, Humans are inherently good, our world believes. Large-scale structures and institutions 
institutions like the church are suspicious at best and evil at worst. And finally, forms of external authority, God, the Bible, Judeo-Christian ethic, the church are rejected and personal authenticity is lauded. In other words, Mark Sayers says it can be summed up by this statement, be true to yourself. That is the spirit that reigns in our culture. That is the kingdom. That is the empire of the mind. That is the thought that is seeking to suppress Jesus Christ in the church. Welcome to Kelowna. And what is amazing is these thoughts, Mark Sayers said, are not particularly conservative or liberal. They cross all aspects of our society. See, behind this world... Is a demonic world that is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And friends who are parents, who are seeking to be parents, please be assured there is a spirit of the Antichrist in this world, alive and well, and is seeking to destroy, kill your children. You go, Glenn, that is so dramatic. That is exactly the thinking that is actually being endorsed in the church, endorsed in our culture. Let's not, you know, C.S. Lewis has some brilliant writing about this in the Screwtape Letters. Let's just, let's just make it unimportant. It's a brilliant strategy on his part. There is a demonic force alive and well and working to oppress Jesus. And the result is the collapse of marriage, the fracturing of families, the polarizing of politics, the loss of trust in public service institutions and, and, and you know, in our police, uh, the buildup of debt, the debt that especially in a pandemic that will fall on future generations, the failure of shared morality and the celebration of individualism, not community, hedonism, consumerism and relativism in the sense of there not being an ultimate truth. What is good for you is good for you and I'm not going to judge. You see, our problems do not emerge from the things that we can touch and feel. The problem is not that dysfunctional husband or wife that you might think you have. The problem is not your boss. The problem is not politics. The problem is not social injustice. That is not the problem. The problem is we're living in a kingdom that is ruled by sin for now. For now. Because as Daniel said, the court will sit And his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. We're talking billions upon billions upon billions of years. Which kingdom, my friend, are you in? Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms of the heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. That's us. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end Of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. He carried the burden of what he had seen. This sermon is not a threat. It's a clarion call to the righteous, to the Christians, to the brothers and sisters who make up the church, to the ones who claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. It's a clarion call to those who are outside of the kingdom gate, who believe that their own individual freedom is of ultimate value above everything else, that is listening to the spirit of the age. Because what is fascinating about the spirit of the age, the spirit of the Antichrist, is you do not need to do anything to be educated in it. All you 
you need to do is wake up in the morning and we absorb it through what we read, through what we listen to, through the media. And Mark Sayers refers to them as the high priests. The high priests, he says, of advertising. You go, wow, this is very melodramatic, but friends, just like Daniel, it should trouble our thoughts. This is not a threat, but it's a call for us to live in alertness and faithfulness because the day is coming when the Ancient of Days will sit on his throne and he will bring victory over the empires and the, and the thoughts and the mindset and the spirit of the Antichrist and the Antichrist will be destroyed and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. New kingdom, new earth, New heaven. That's what the Bible says, that the earth will be restored back to the way it was before sin entered it. And as Christians, we will live there with King Jesus forever. We won't live in heaven forever. The Bible doesn't say that. It's new heaven, new earth. That is my future home. Is that your future home? Or are you outside of the kingdom gate thinking that you can fix yourself? That the problem is social justice, the problem is politics, the problem is, the problem is. Whereas all the time ignoring that the problem is you. The problem is me. And Paul said in Romans 13 verse 11, Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up. From your slumber. For me, Glenn, to wake up from my slumber because my salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In other words, it is nearer that dreadful and beautiful day is nearer now than it was yesterday. And I need to wake up as a Christian and think about what it is that I'm communicating to my children, what it is that I'm communicating to the people I spend my life with, that the urgency, Paul says, is here. And this was written 2,000 years ago. So how much closer are we now? See, the aim of the Antichrist is to bring slumber into our hearts, to kind of put it down as unimportant. For us, let's just live positive lives. And let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about forgiveness. Let's not talk about what is to come. And there is nothing wrong with living positive lives, but never live that positive life thinking that is the key. Jesus, the cloud rider, the son of man, is the key. So which kingdom are you in? So your decision where you are actually has cosmic eternal consequences. Is it King Jesus or is it the kingdom of the Antichrist? So Glenn, are you telling me that I'm serving Satan? Not directly, but it might be in areas of your life that you've started to listen to the thoughts and the messages of our culture and start seeing them as truth. Be assured, God is sovereign over the rise and the falls of the empire. Be encouraged, Christian friends, no matter how chaotic it is out there. It was nothing compared to what Daniel and Jesus lived through. That God is sovereign then and now. God's hand is on human history. He will bring the kingdom of God. And all the kingdoms, all the empires, all the thoughts that are stacked up against him will come to an end. And every knee will bow because Jesus is the epicenter of the past, the present, and the future. That every aspect of the Bible points to him. That yes, God is sovereign, but every knee will bow to Jesus. That justice is coming. That evil will be destroyed. That Jesus is the destroyer and will be the destroyer. And Jesus will reign. And as the nails were driven into his hands, then thinking that victory had come for the evil empire... 
In that same way, people think that the nails are being driven into the hands of the church, thinking that the church is being pressed down and the victory of the culture is paramount. Let me tell you that God has not finished with his bride yet. It doesn't matter how empty this room is, God has not finished with his bride because victory will come because Jesus three days later rose again and beat the living snot out of Satan and all his empires. And he will do the same again in the future because that is King Jesus. That is the promise. God is in control and victory will come. And finally, a new kingdom is being built and will come. Which kingdom are you in? See, there's a sense that the kingdom is here in the church and at work. And there's a sense that the kingdom will come. It is in the future. A new heaven and a new earth. We are the kingdom. Christian friends, we are the kingdom. Let's wake up. Let's speak to those that we've been putting off speaking to. Let's pray for those that it seemed to get boring to pray for them years ago because nothing seems to have happened. Let's reach out and celebrate that King Jesus is not this weak-willed, tiny, pathetic character that the world seems to paint when he's nailed and smashed onto the cross. This is King Jesus, and he will have victory. And the joy is, is that you and I and all those who believe will stand in victory in and by him forever. That is the message of Daniel 7. And my prayer is, is that we will rise up in confidence because of that hope and love and victory and joy that he communicates, that God communicated through Daniel. My hope this week, and even as I finish preaching now, that something has risen inside of you, a holy indignation, that we wake up. That COVID does not mean that the kingdom has stopped. This church, Willow Park Church, I'm so proud of the team like Courtney and and different people that have worked hard through this pandemic because we are still on mission. We are not slumbering. We're pushing ahead, which is why when Courtney starts by saying, please come join us in the kids, kids club, that kids club volunteering is being part of the new kingdom that you bring the victory through Jesus into the lives of those kids that you may spend a few minutes with every week. You're part of the solution. Let's not slumber. Let's rise up. Let's believe that Jesus and his kingdom is on the move and every knee will bow. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would forgive us for believing the lie that you are on your back foot. Forgive us, Lord, for believing the lie that you were powerless and impotent in this powerful culture that we live. Forgive us, Lord, for losing sight that you were king. Forgive us, Lord, for entering our life and our parenting and our workplaces, our friendships and relationships with our own human sight more than your sight. Lord Jesus, I thank you that by your death and resurrection, you brought victory. By your death and resurrection, you brought forgiveness and new life. That we are now part of your army, the new kingdom. And Lord, you are marching. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that when you rose from the dead, you brought victory over death and every empire that seeks to affront you and pull you down and supplant you and oppress you and your people. 
And Lord, I pray that something inside of us as your people would wake up from our slumber and remember our first love. And Lord, I pray that we would get energized at the thought of representing you well in our neighbors, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our relationships. That Lord, we would hear your clarion call and remember that we serve the Ancient of Days. And I thank you, God, that you are secure on your throne today as you were then. And you are in sovereign, powerful control over world events. And that might be confusing to us. And we confess, Lord, that sometimes we're critical of it. But I thank you, God, that you are the Alpha and the Omega. And Lord, I pray for everybody who has heard this message, who does not know you, who is not in the kingdom, that Lord, who has been deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. Lord, I pray for those who have heard this message and something is just going on inside their hearts now. Lord, I pray that you would draw them fully to yourself, that Lord, they would submit their lives to you, that they would come to know you in a powerful way, that Lord, that your kingdom would flood into their hearts and minds and lives and families and communities. Lord, I pray for healing, pray for health, Pray, Lord, that we would live in such a way that we are victorious. Because you, Lord Jesus, are victorious. So, Lord, we pray that there will be celebrations in heaven today as a result of the decisions made on earth after hearing this sermon and your word. Lord, I thank you for this church. And, Lord, forgive us if at any time we're critical of your church. This is your bride. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that this particular church, Willow Park Church, would continue to rise up in victory and see enormous, enormous growth as a result of our stake in our claim in the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, this is invigorating, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Chapter 8, next week. Daniel chapter 8, read ahead. If you thought this was tough... (laughs) Daniel chapter 8 brings it to a whole new level of vision. I'm looking forward to pulling it apart with you. We love you. We miss you. Sign up for Kids Club at the South, and uh, we will see you very, very soon. God bless.